HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are broadcasting today from the Good Food Mercantile at Union Market in Washington, D.C. So we have the great pleasure today of being able to talk with a number of amazing crafters and retailers who are part of the Good Food Awards Guild. And uh, right now we are about to jump in with a panel of three amazing chocolate producers. So really excited to have with us Sarah Hartman from Harper McCaw. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Uh, we also have Alok Vasa from Elements Truffles. And Robert Norman from Rocka Chocolate, our neighbors in Brooklyn. Hi, yeah. So I was hoping that we could begin with uh, each of you telling us a little bit about what your company does and how you got involved in the chocolate space. So if you don't mind, Sarah, we'll start with you. Of course. Um, so Harper Macaw started about a year and a half ago. I am originally from Brazil, and I've been in the chocolate industry for roughly six years. Um, and I realized that very few people were sourcing cocoa beans from Brazil. And one of the things that I really wanted to do was um, source for my own country, um, which is what we have done. Um, so we've built our own supply chain. And a big part of our company and of being Brazilian as well is that um, there's a lot of deforestation in the forests of Brazil and cocoa um, for those who don't know, comes from the rainforest, and I really wanted to do something with conservation. So 5% of the sales of our bars go back to a reforestation project in Brazil. Amazing. Uh, and Alak? So I used to uh, work on Wall Street till uh, two years ago, and I decided to quit my job and follow my passion, which was really in creating good food, uh, which enables the holistic uh, lifestyle. And one thing that's been my background growing up uh, in India has been Ayurveda, which is like a sister science to yoga, that truly, um, you know, pr provides a way to live a holistic lifestyle by aligning yourself with nature. And I thought, what better way to introduce this amazing um, science uh, than through chocolate? Because anybody you ask, you know, you want to try a piece of chocolate, they never say no. And then the next thing they want to ask is, okay, what is Ayurveda and how can I integrate it in my life? So truly, that has been the inspiration uh, behind Elements Truffles. And 
This business is truly with a cause. So each member of the team uh, spends five hours every week doing community service and we donate 25% of our profits for education of children in India. Um, cool, yeah. And then uh, Rocket Chocolate. Uh, we are a bean-to-bar chocolate maker based in Red Hook in Brooklyn. And what makes us uh, a little bit different than uh, some other bean-to-bar chocolate makers that people may be familiar with uh, is that we don't roast the cocoa beans that we use to make chocolate with. Uh, and the thinking behind that, the reason that we don't roast, uh, which has long sort of been a traditional part of chocolate making, is to uh, preserve and present the kind of wilder flavors that are present in cocoa, whether it be really citrusy or really floral or really earthy uh, in the beans from a, a specific farm or region. We want to carry those through into the final uh, chocolate. And... Uh... In the same order that we've gone through kind of your quick, quick backgrounds, I was hoping that you could tell us about a couple of the products that you're sampling here today at Good Food Mercantile. So, yeah, Harper McCaw. Yeah, um, so we're sampling um, not our entire collection of the Rainforest collection because we're out of one of them, but we're doing our dark milk chocolate, which is the the chocolate that I'm the most proud of right now. It's 57% um, cocoa and nonfat milk. Um then we're doing single estates, two from the Atlantic Rainforest, one from the Amazon. And we're also doing our mocha, which is um, milk chocolate and coffee with Compass Coffee, which is a local coffee roaster here in D.C. And our bourbon barrel aged chocolate as well. And uh, we are showcasing all of our five flavors, uh, starting with my favorite, which is orange pistachio with turmeric. Uh, the other one is raspberry with some beetroot in it, uh, peppermint lavender, uh, sea salt with turmeric, and rose with cardamom. Thanks, yeah, we're uh, sampling nine flavors right now, and uh, maybe the, the most exciting is the newest addition to our regular line. We call it Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, so we uh, steam cocoa nibs uh, from Pangoa in Peru over simmering Cabernet Sauvignon wine. And the vapor that's coming off of that simmering wine uh, gets soaked up by those cocoa nibs. Uh, and then we uh, proof them uh, and then start to make chocolate with them. And uh, they hold on to this uh, big sort of grape oak uh, flavor. And you can really taste that in the bar. Wow, very cool. You gotta try it. Let's do some treats in a little bit. So the Good Food Awards are really special because we're here not only to celebrate really special and amazing top-of-the-line products, but also companies like yours that are using sustainable practices, that are using ethical business practices. And I wanted to ask each of you, like, really, what does it mean to you to be here and be part of the Good Food Awards Guild? Uh, I think, well, it, it means being in a good company. Um, so for, for chocolate specifically, everybody who's uh, a craft chocolate maker and doing things that we think uh, are exciting in chocolate uh, is sort of, uh, we're all bearing this educational burden together uh, by getting people excited about the, the next steps in this industry, sort of similar to the way that uh, coffee has gone through this really awesome educational boom recently. So we're actually, we're like two tables down from Harper McCaw and we had a really fun conversation when we walked in today. It's really cool to see what uh, other people are doing. Yeah, and I would say for us, being a new business, um, has a lot to do with learning, learning how to be sustainable and looking at what, you know, Raka has done and what everybody else is doing so that we can, you know, do it ourselves or figure out like what route we want to take as well. I think it's just an honor, you know, to be part uh, of such an association because when you come here, you just meet all these brands uh, that are truly believing in the same cause we all do, you know, sustainability, doing the right things, giving 
good food to people out there. And I think this association needs to get bigger and bigger where people no longer need to look at food labels, but just kind of believe that, okay, if they're part of this group, that means I can just go and get things from them. And this is just, I think, the start. And Alec, you used to work on Wall Street. Yeah. Did you have an aha moment when you knew that you wanted to make chocolate and change careers? So it's interesting. When I quit my job, that very day I, had a, I was very happy because I felt like I had this sense of freedom. But then for the next six months, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I kept doubting myself every time, did I do the right thing? But now, a year and a half into the journey, I would say I would do nothing different about it. I'm so glad I took that leap of faith and jumped into this. And uh, for you guys, did you ever um, have like a, a spark where you knew that um, you wanted to have chocolate be your field that you would work in? Or um, how did you like come to feel certain... Yeah, mine comes from reading the Milton Hershey's book. <laughs> um, but I was in the culinary industry before, and I was just reading about food, cheese and wine and chocolate. My first book was the Milton Hershey's, and I was like, I can do that. That's <laughs> kind of what happened. Um, I, I was uh, working in coffee uh, before this, and I actually uh, I met Nate, uh, who's the head chocolate maker uh, at Raka, because I was looking... Uh, for really awesome chocolate uh, to work in the, the cafes uh, that I was managing. Um, and I got really excited about the similarities between uh, coffee, which I was already in love with, uh, and uh, hearing Nate talk about uh, sourcing and the things that he was able to do with cocoa uh, sort of led me naturally into it. And then I uh, ended up uh, working for him. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun and, and uh, a great learning experience. A question for everybody. Um, what do you think one of the most commonly misunderstood things about chocolate is that people might not realize? I, I think the easiest one is that it, you know, it comes from a fruit. Uh, you know, it, it grows on a tree and how many steps there are in between uh, that and what people are familiar with. That definitely. Uh, percentages. Just... I don't think anybody knows what percentages are, and they just assume that if it's a higher percentage, it's better. Um, and it is, it's higher on, on cocoa, therefore higher on antioxidants. Um, but I don't think that there's a clear understanding of what percentage actually means. And what it means, for those who are listening, since I'm talking about it, is the cocoa content of that recipe. So a recipe is made up of 100% ingredients. Um, the percentage will be the cocoa percentage present in that bar. I think it's viewed as a sinful indulgence, uh, which actually, when made with the right ingredients, is actually good for you. And uh, I think people should start looking at more and more artisanal chocolates out there, because when you look at their ingredient list, it's either two, three, or four things in the chocolate. And at that point of time, it actually has a lot of uh, good things in it, which can help you as long as you control the quantity. What's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you are facing with your business in 2017 or um, what area would you like to see grow? So for me, I think uh, we are at a point where uh, it's very good that we've just received so much positive response and I'm at that stage in my company where now we need to grow and invest and plan and do so many things to kind of move on to the next level. And that's the challenge I'm facing right now is, okay, 
Now I really need to jump in a lot more into this, invest, hire people, and start delegating work so you can expand a lot more. Um, I think for me as a chocolate maker, the challenge would be consistency. And even before that, getting to the product that I, which I think I'll never get to, that I'm 100% satisfied with because I always want to tweak it. I always think I could do something better. And just being overall satisfied is not easy. So I think that that would be my number one challenge always. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, aside from sort of the, the general challenge, which is the, our business model, which is to be making new and exciting things uh, multiple times a year, uh, is... Uh, just uh, awareness. One for uh, Raka in general. Uh, we, we really want people to, you know, know our label and be able to, to see us and seek us out. But just uh, about uh, why craft chocolate and bean to bar chocolate is exciting and different. So that that general awareness step is still something that I think uh, all of us are are working on every day. Yeah. So uh, last question for all of you is: uh, What's your favorite chocolate and food or beverage pairing? There's so many. <laughs> I love pairing chocolate with fruit more than anything. Um, melting chocolate and putting it on top of blood orange, figs, blueberries, you name it, I have it. So I would say that that's my favorite. Uh, I really like um, uh, a, like a nice bright dark chocolate, uh, something maybe in the 70s with cheddar cheese, like a really cool like crumbly hard cheddar cheese uh, is something that I think is really fun and I'll make plates of when people are coming over I think for me it's um, also like a slightly salty dark chocolate with some herbal tea wow that's amazing um, well I'm, I need to go because I need to go to all of your tables and <laughs> eat some chocolate <laughs> I want to say a big thank you to all of you for being on air with us today uh, we have had Sarah Hartman from um, Harper McCaw, also Alak Vasa from Elements Truffles, and Robert Norman from Raka Chocolate. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. We will be right back after a short break. We are here at Good Food Mercantile at Union Market in D.C., and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Welcome back. My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the Executive Director of Heritage Radio Network. And you are listening to our coverage from Good Food Mercantile at Union Market in Washington, D.C. My so co-host today is a very special guy. In a snack <laughs> Jack coma. Inslee, yes. Executive Producer at Large of Heritage Radio Network, is uh, helping us out today. And we have a very special guest here. We have Nancy Bruns from J.Q. Dickens and Salt Works in West Virginia. Welcome, Nancy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the air today. I'm excited to be here. So, um, J.Q. Dickens and Salt Works is a salt company. Can you tell us about what that means, first of all? Um, how are you producing salt? And a little bit about the story of how you got started with the business? Sure. Our, I'll talk about our source first. We're on top of the ancient Ipidus Ocean, 
which has been re-dissolved by a freshwater aquifer. Um, it's 350 feet deep, so we draw that salty water or brine up from underground, and we put in a big sun houses, let it evaporate and crystallize, and we hand harvest it. It's um, a five- to six-week process from well to jar, and it's all natural, mineral-rich salts. Um, we got started in it because um, our ancestors in 1817 started making salt in Malden, um, and uh, they made salt until 1945, and we're on that same property. Malden was actually the largest salt-producing region of the country in the 1830s and 40s, and um, so, but now we're the only producer there. Wow. So can you give us a little more background on what does it mean that you're over an ancient ocean, and what is your <laughs> elevation, and uh, do you find fossils? Do you find anything <laughs> cool, like, on your land? Um, we do have a lot of arrowheads and things on our property because the uh, Native Americans were there making salt because this source was coming up in springs. We're, we're in a valley, so um, the source was pushing up into springs. And um, so through tectonic plate movements and all of that, the ancient Ipidus Ocean got trapped underground under the Appalachians, and they pushed up through it. Um, and now we're kind of in this bowl where this underground aquifer has dissolved the salt, and um, so it sits here in liquid form. It's so amazing. <laughs> so we have uh, a sample in front of us. Uh, is there a special way to taste the salt? And for our listeners, we have um, here some cucumber slices with salt on them. Yeah, so I like to taste it with things that are very clean tasting um, to give you the texture and uh, you really get the flavor and the nice minerality of it. And I think cucumbers do a good job of that. So it has 6% trace minerals in it, which gives it a unique flavor. Um, people ask me what makes our salt different from other salts around the world. And um, every salt source has a different minerality to it, different oceans, different areas of different oceans, and ancient sources as well. So our salt's minerality is different than any other salt in the world, which gives it a unique flavor. Do you have any descriptors for the flavors that are in the salt? Uh, We call it a bold salt. It's definitely not shy. Um, It's uh, full flavored, but finishes very clean, and I think it almost has a slight sweetness at the end. it's not astringent or, or too too strong, so um, that's how I would describe it. And does it get to the level where there are like certain food pairings that you would recommend for the salt over other salts? I think I'm a little partial to it. I think it, it goes well with um, anything that I've put it on. Um, anything from desserts, it's great. I think uh, it's, salt is underrated in desserts and really elevates the flavor of like chocolates and caramel and um, it's great on apple pie uh, as well you know and anything from scrambled eggs to steak to salad and the texture of it really holds up well with foods wow would this be a salt also that you might cook with or is it more of a finishing salt? So this is our finishing salt. We do have um, another salt. We actually call it popcorn salt or a cooking salt. Uh, it's a finer crystal. It's a little less expensive. And it um, can be used where you don't need texture so much. It's um, 
you know, if you're putting in a soup or a stew or a sauce where it's going to dissolve or you're baking with it, we recommend that salt for there. We also have a grinding salt if you like to grind. Uh-huh. Some people just like that, you know, that physicality. It's very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if um, you have kind of advice for training your palate to distinguish the, the subtle differences between salts. I mean, aside from using something clean as, as a vessel for tasting. Um, I'll do, you know, we do a lot of tours at the farm, and if people are having a hard time with it, I'll pull out other salts. I keep a collection at work and, and let them taste what Morton salt tastes like next to our salt, next to, say, Himalayan salt uh, or a Malden salt from England. And you can look at the, the texture and the, um, the shape and uh, then really get the difference in the flavor because it is... It is confusing and people do say salt is salt isn't it it's like you know it's really not um once you taste it and people don't go back once they start using our salt they get kind of addicted to it so the side by side is like the most useful way to do that absolutely i actually had somebody who had her uh told her husband to hide the salt somewhere in the house that she couldn't get it because she kept smacking on it that was a thing when i was a kid I used to, like, that was my thing when I would be bad. I would sneak into the kitchen and eat salt. Ah. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one who does that. <laughs> no, there are, there, there's a uh, support group for that. We do it at our farm, so come yeah. on out. <laughs> I'll, I'll come down and eat salt with you anytime. <laughs> one of my favorite hobbies. Um, so we're here at the Good Food Awards, which means we're celebrating not only wonderful and delicious products, but products that are produced sustainably. Um, what does that mean for you at the farm, and what are some of your practices that you're using to uh, steward the environment and to take good care of your team? Right. It's, um, it was important to us when we started the business back and revived it that we had a very low environmental footprint, and that's why we chose solar evaporation to make it, um, even though it's very slow. Uh, we could crank out salt very quickly by using some kind of fuel source to boil down the brine. Um, but we, we think of our product as an agricultural product. We uh, pull it from the land, we let Mother Nature do the work, and we harvest it when it's ready. So that's important to us. And we um, also want to make sure that we use everything that we're pulling from the land. So we have some byproducts. Uh, one of them is a nagari which is a liquid mineral byproduct that um, is, uh, after we harvest the salt crystals, this liquid is left. And so we harvest that, um, and that's used to make tofu and fresh cheeses. It's a natural coagulant, and it's very mineral-rich. It's actually really great and nutritious for your body. Um, so it's important that we, from start to finish, we make sure that we're being good to the land. We're also uh, very aware of how far our products and, um, you know, our packaging is coming, where we're using uh, subcontractors and anything. So, you know, our lids are made in West Virginia for our jars. Our glass comes to us from Kentucky. We're, that's all very important to us. That's wonderful. I've learned so much, Nancy. Thank you. This is fascinating. I'm going to go home and do my salt taste test. Yeah. (laughs) Get out all the salts. Chris always gives me a hard time because I keep keep a lot of different types of salts yeah, around and it's really important it is uh, and do you offer you said there, there are tours at your farm there are um, is that something that people can book on your website um, you can just show up uh, Tuesday through Saturday right um, at the farm we do that uh, April through November during our salt making season and um, we're happy to have anybody drop by whenever That's take amazing. them around they can see our whole process we'd even we if people are interested, we can take them to the old salt works on the farm. They can see the kind of the remnants 
of the old industry. That's so cool. Well, I definitely want to come down and see it. Yeah, sometime. please do. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been Nancy Bruns from JQ Dickinson Salt Works in West Virginia. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Thank you. And we will be right back with just a little bit more here at the Good Food Mercantile at Union Market, D.C. Be right back. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Okay, here we are again at the Good Food Mercantile, Union Market, D.C. This is Heritage Radio Network and full-service radio collaboration. This is our final interview of the day. We have uh, eaten and drank our way through many different iterations of cocktails and shrubs and beer and coffee and ice cream and salt and charcuterie. It's been quite the day here uh, at, at this hall. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to pass it over to Katie for our final interview. All right. Thank you, Jack. So our final guest is Clay Oliver from Oliver Farm. Welcome, Clay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, so, Clay, you make oils. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your range of products. Okay. Well, we currently do about eight oils that we offer commercially. We started with sunflower. We grow our own sunflowers and harvest them and then process them on the farm. And we soon branched out into pecan oil. We do a green peanut oil that's gotten us some publicity lately. We do an heirloom binny. Uh, we source from Anson Mills. We do pumpkin seed oil. Uh, I played around with almond, walnut, and hemp seed oil as well. And uh, tell us a little bit about your location and the history of your farm. Yeah, well, I'm fortunate to be uh, the fifth generation raised on our family farm. Uh, we're about uh, two and a half hours or 150 miles south of Atlanta. It's a very rural area, you know, um, small town, country living. Yeah, absolutely. And have has the farm been producing sunflower oils throughout that whole time, or when did the oil business start? I started the oil business in 2012. I got the idea, or the idea began forming in 2008 after the economy tanked. Uh, I had the idea to make on-farm biofuel. And through that research and learning, talking with people in the business, they suggested I look into food-grade oil. And it was like a mind bomb. You know, hey, I could make this on my farm, put it into a bottle, and sell it to people. Mm -hmm. And what are other farms in your area producing well, commodity crops, cotton, peanuts, corn, soybeans, uh, wheat, uh, there's a lot of cattle being raised in there. Poultry is a big industry. Mm-hmm. So doing the oil is it's a little bit different than the norm in the area, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and I, I heard that your pecan oil took a trip to France recently. Yes, it, we did. Uh, unfortunately, I did not get to go to France, but the oil <laughs> made it. And I did see some pictures as proof that it did make it there. Um, it was giving us some gifts to some of the, the ambassadors over there and some of the, the uh, chefs that, that they met. Uh-huh. Um, well, I know that it's gotten some really well-deserved recognition there. You, in fact, have four Good Food Awards. Is that right? That's right, yeah. And what are the, um, the products that you've won the awards for? The first oil that won was our peanut, pecan oil. 
Then the next year, the green peanut one. In 2017, the sunflower oil and the Benny seed were named winners. That's so amazing. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah, I it's think, hard to believe. Yeah, it's it's just remarkable. You're making amazing products. Can you tell our listeners what the Benny seed oil is? Benny is ancestral sesame. It's actually the Bantu word for sesame. It was brought through the African diaspora, uh, made its way into the cuisine of the low country, fell out of favor as an oil seed, and then because it's really hard to harvest, not many people want to grow it. Uh, it's difficult to grow, it's difficult to harvest, so it's not a major commodity crop. We source our Benny seed from Anson Mills uh, out of South Carolina, and they deliver a world-class product. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, you're, you've been on, your family's been on this farm for five generations, but you're doing some really unusual products there. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done so much to really innovate in that space and about, you know, producing this really, really fine quality product, um, you know, where you're kind of surrounded by commodity crops, you're doing something very, very specialized. What is the next uh, the next big thing for you? Well, the reason we looked into oil production was because I wanted to make biofuel, and I'm still, I still have that in mind that I would like to move, you know, as we get the oil business established and it can carry itself, I'd like to look into making biofuel for the farm to make us more sustainable. And um, you've, you've been recognized as a leader in sustainability. Being part of the Good Food Awards means that not only are you making a wonderful product, but you're producing it in a way that is environmentally responsible and ethical production. Um, so what are some of the key ways that, that you think that you've been um, you know, producing in a way that fits with the Good Food Awards? Well, their motto or creed is something like tasty, authentic, responsibly produced food. And that's what we want to make. You know, if ours doesn't taste better than everybody else, why would you buy mine? You know, so we have to set our part with our set ourselves apart with quality. So we must have high quality seeds and nuts. You know, we make the oil ourselves. So our quality control is, you know, we're on top of that. Uh, And, you know, we try to be sustainable, growing what we can ourselves. We take our byproducts and we make other products with them that we're able to sell or use ourselves. So there's really little waste in what we do. What are some examples of products that you're making with the byproducts from the oils? Probably my most exciting, I'm excited about, is a pecan flour. Uh, so we take enough oil out of the pecan, I can mill what's left down into really fine flour. It's gluten-free, it's a high-protein, low-carb flour that still tastes good. So. People who do have that issue of celiac or they want to limit their gluten, this gives them a really tasty alternative to some flowers that are out there. Talk a little bit about, I mean, it must be so crazy to eat at a restaurant, uh, a place like Washington, D.C. I heard like mini bars starting to use your products. And to see your stuff, you know, from farm to plate at a restaurant, what's that? I tell you, it's amazing, you know, and I mean, you never think about that when we were dreaming this up and making plans. But on the way up here, we stopped in Stanton, Virginia, and ate at the shack. Uh, Chef Ian Bowden had created some dishes, and he, he just wowed us with how he used our oil. And you know, I don't think of I don't think of how you make stuff with it. You know, I'm not a chef, so to see them do it and to taste it and how they bring out other flavors with the oil is just it's very humbling. Do you cook much at home? <laughs> 
<laughs> I can. My time is better spent doing other things. Fair and enough. M- my children appreciate it when my wife cooks, you know. Over me, so. Yeah. Fair enough. And uh, have you been able to kind of scope out what else is on the floor here at Good Food Mercantile? And did you discover any new products today that you're excited about? Are you kidding? That's one of the reasons we come is to eat good food all day long. I mean, you know, this is uh, the best of the best is here today. And, you know, to get to sample and to connect and to feed off and get ideas from these people is, is fairly important. Us too. Yeah. <laughs> As I eat ice cream in the middle of this interview. Yeah. Uh-huh. Us too. It's important to do your research. It is. Yeah. Indeed. How can you talk about it if you hadn't tried That's it? That's right. Exactly. exactly. Cool. Thank you so much, man. I, I mean, appreciate it, you guys. You're welcome. Thank you, Clay. Incredible, incredible stuff. And, and, I mean, we can't thank the Good Food Awards enough and Union Market. Everybody that's helped make this happen. Uh, Katie, thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Jack, thank you for recording all of this. And uh, thanks to Full Service Radio for being a great partnership and really looking forward to working with you in the future. That's right. More to come. All right. Well, thanks for tuning into this coverage. And uh, we'll talk soon. Bye. Hasta la vista, baby. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.